What do you find yourself longing for today? Uh, maybe it's, it's, uh, it's a gift that you're hoping to get that you've been dreaming of. Maybe, maybe you're, longing, uh, you're longing to watch someone open a gift that, that you uh, have put a lot of thought into. Uh, we, we have all kinds of longings. And, and today we're going to be reminded of Israel's longing, that they longed for the Messiah. And, and I think in that we get to ask ourselves the question, man, do we, do we really long for the Messiah for the Christ. My hope last week was to show us that in the first uh, several books of the Bible, it was God's design and his desire uh, has always been to be with his people. He went to great lengths to make that happen, right? Just through the act of creation itself, he went to great lengths. Uh, and, and we know uh, it didn't take long for humanity to turn uh, against God, to rebel against God. But God hasn't stopped going to great lengths to make the way uh, f- to be with his people. Uh, God promised that he would make this happen. And we see, uh, we see the promise, like I said last week, right in the beginning, in the, in the curse against the serpent, God promises that there would be this offspring of the woman that would crush the serpent's head. And, and we went into the covenant with Abraham uh, that was then confirmed with Isaac and with Jacob. And today we're going to look at God's promises to his people through his prophets. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We'll start here uh, and then we'll, we'll spend most of our time in the book of Isaiah. Um, this is one of the most important passages in all of scripture. Uh, God's covenant with David. And we were actually in this passage several months back. Maybe you remember the context, but just in case you don't, uh, here it is. David was uh, the king of Israel. Because of God, uh, David had defeated all of his enemies. Uh, He was in Jerusalem, which was now the the royal city. Um, He had brought the Ark of the Covenant into the royal city. So so God's presence uh, was with them, dwelling with them in the royal city. So not only was it the political capital, but it was also the spiritual capital of Israel. Uh, David lived in a, a great palace. He had a beautiful palace. I'm sure that it was quite opulent. Everything was good. And, and as you read leading up to uh, 2 Samuel 7, you, you get the feeling, um, maybe David hasn't said it, but, but he thinks that he has arrived. Uh, it certainly appeared that way. Uh, what God had done for David and for Israel was certainly remarkable, but God was not done yet. He had not uh, finished doing what he intended to do for and through David. So David, he, uh, again, he's sitting in his nice palace. He's, he's looking around at, at, at what he's been blessed with. And then he thinks about the Lord, who, who is the reason for everything that has happened in his life. And here, though, God resides in the tabernacle, right? This, this portable uh, temple, a, a tent. Um, and he thinks to himself, I should build the Lord uh, just this incredible house. So he, he runs that by uh, the prophet Nathan. And Nathan, just shooting from the hip, reacting, says, yes, go for it. 
Uh, but then the Lord speaks to Nathan, and, and then Nathan uh, then passes on this message uh, to King David in 2 Samuel 7. And this is, uh, again, this is the, we call it the Davidic covenant. Um, and, and in this covenant, we, we really see uh, a ton of similarities with what was said to Abraham. I mean, it's, it's, it's basically the same thing with, with more clarity. Uh, Abraham was promised to, that he'd be given a land, a, a place uh, for his people. He's, he's promised that, that, uh, that his seed, uh, that, that nations would come from him, even kings would come from him, even though at the time he was childless. He was promised that, that God would make his name great so that, um, so that through him, through, through the line that would come from him, they would be a blessing to uh, all the nations of the world. Speaking about this promise in, in uh, 2 Samuel 7, John Woodhouse uh, writes, it was the promise that taught the people who believed it to expect a Messiah or Christ. So here we go. 2 Samuel 7, uh, we'll start in verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent from my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel who I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Right? Sounds like what was said to Abraham. Verse 10, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Right? He promises he's going to give them a place where they will not be disturbed. It's a, a place that will be safe. He promises them peace. Now, if you were to ask David, just right before this moment, uh, David, has God given you peace? Has he given you uh, rest from your enemies? Uh, I'm confident that without hesitation, David emphatically would have said, yes, God has done that exact thing. And, and it was true that God had given him peace like, like he had not known. He had rest from his enemies. God, God took care of all of his enemies, the Philistines, Saul, his kid that tried to overthrow everything. Thing. Uh, yet, yet God was talking about something so much better. The peace that God had in mind was way beyond what David even thought possible. It's beyond what you and I think possible. Uh, we live in, in a world that does not know peace. And, and unless scripture uh, reveals the, the peace that, 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 uh, that I, like Isaiah talks about and the rest of scripture talks about, we, we don't even have a category for peace like this. God's peace is greater than we can fathom, right? I can't even imagine an existence where not only does violence not exist, but, but violent thoughts don't exist in our world. I can't imagine a world um, where locks aren't a thing. Um, I can't imagine watching the news and not hearing about crime. It seems like that's 80% of the news. 
Uh, I can't uh, imagine an existence where no one takes advantage of someone else or, or where your guard never has to be up because, because there's nothing to fear. So the peace that David experienced was it was true relative to what he had known for sure, but the peace that God will bring is unlike anything David knew. So David thought he had arrived. He was, in a sense, he was living the dream as the king of Israel, but he was beginning to understand how much better uh, God's plans were for his servant David and his people. And what God promises is, is far beyond what we settle for. Um, next, what, what God tells David is mind-boggling. He says, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, right? So David had planned to build a, a house. God tells him, no, I will build you a house. But David w- was thinking of a house, a nice house, like built of cedar. Um, uh, but God responds by, by promising that, that he's going to build a house for David. But this house we'll see is a royal dynasty. This house is a kingdom, and it's an eternal kingdom. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This would be uh, from David's offspring, the the seed of David, therefore the seed of Abraham, like Abraham was promised. And and God was promising to establish his kingdom, right? Abraham was promised that kings would, would come from him. This throne would be forever, a kingdom without end. And we don't know anything like that. Everything that we know has an end. We've certainly never heard of a kingdom without an end. Every great empire has an end. The greatest of nations and governments come to an end, but that will not be the case with this house, this kingdom that God is promising to David's line. This will be unlike anything David had known. Verse 14, God says, I'll be a father to him and he shall be a son uh, and he shall be to me a son. And and so he's speaking both of the ultimate king that that will come, but but certainly also the the kings that will come uh, from David's seed, David's sons. He says when he commits iniquity, obviously he's not talking about the Christ here. He's talking about uh, the, the sons of David that will come. They will sin. We'll see that in Solomon and we'll see that in every other king after him. God says, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. God is promising that he will not deal with with David's sons when they sin, when they rebel against God like he dealt with Saul. He will not take away his steadfast love, his faithful, totally dependable love the way that he did from Saul. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God emphasizes multiple times that this kingdom, uh, this king will have no end, right? There's a certainty to this promise. This will come to pass because the Lord is the one that's doing it. The Lord is the one that is guaranteeing it. And Israel would need to trust in this promise to David. Uh, between the, the time of this promise and the, the Messiah coming, Israel would face a, a lot of hard things. It would be easy to doubt. It, it'd be easy to question, is God really going to do 
what he said he would do, or, or if we just messed it all up. So we continue to see from last week that, that God will make a way for his people. Uh, the promise here has been defined with, with more clarity. Right now we know that there's, there's a king. Uh, God has promised that there'll be not, not just a king, but a line of kings coming from David that will ultimately lead to this final king, their forever king. And this king sent from God will make sure that, that God dwells with his people forever. The worst it got for Israel, and, and it's because of their own sin, right? Like they bring it upon themselves. But the worst it got for them, the clearer it was that they needed God to save them, that they needed God to send the Messiah or the Christ, which means the anointed one or the chosen one. They could not save themselves. Their only hope would be that God would intervene, that God would send the Messiah to save his people. So Israel longed for the Messiah to come. They knew, they knew beyond a shadow of doubt that only God could save them. Only God could fix their problem with sin. Well, Solomon, uh, the son of David, the very next king in the line of David, did build uh, the, the temple that, that King David had dreamed of. And God's, God's presence uh, dwelt in the temple with his people. And, and things start off good. They look really promising. But as God warned Solomon, as well as all the future kings following him, they needed to follow God. If they were disobedient, God would discipline them. Right? Just because he built this awesome temple for God, it did not mean that God somehow owed Solomon or that it gave Solomon a free pass. Solomon and, and all the kings and, and all God's people were to obey God, to follow God. And you know, you probably know Solomon's story, that he starts off just great. I mean, he, he's on the trajectory to be the, the greatest king that Israel has had, better, better than his dad. Um, but his heart gave way. Uh, he, he, he married uh, women that were from a different place, and, and they, they worshipped different gods. They worshipped these fake gods. And, and his heart went with those women and, and ultimately worshipped these fake gods as well. And here, um, here was this seemingly great king, but ultimately he failed. And, and nearly every king after him uh, didn't follow God. Like there are a couple that kind of did good, um, but, but for the most part, all of them were, were horrible, rebellious kings. And these kings led Israel in disobedience to Yahweh too. Uh, the kingdom, as you might know, ends up splitting into uh, it, it's, it's not good. They end up um, uh, being exiled by Babylon and Assyria. Um, it's grim. Uh, God's promised a, a king from the line of David, but it, it doesn't look like that could even be possible. What is clear is that God's king has to be different. It has to be different than all the kings that follow David. It has to be different even than David. Well, Israel continues its cycle of, of disobedience to the Lord. Some of the, some of the prophets describe Israel as being deaf and blind. Uh, but, but the prophets, what, what they do, uh, one thing they do is they instill hope. Right? That, that Israel, you're waiting for something that God has promised. And, and, and they, they, they continue to, uh, to stoke this fire of, of longing for the Christ. 
And there are a lot of places we could go in the prophets, but we're going to start in Isaiah. Isaiah 2. Um, Isaiah prophesies of a day when God's people will, will want to worship him and, and they'll want to walk in his ways. And this will be a time of, of peace, uh, of plentiful harvest. Um, and, and through the, the prophet, God gives his people, right, this, this little remnant of faithful followers, he gives them hope in the midst of, of, of just this bleak, depressing existence. Uh, turn to Isaiah 7, uh, verse 13. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you uh, weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Amazing. The Messiah would come, a son would be born, a baby. Uh, now, we're used to this, right? We've read this before. We hear this at least every uh, Christmas time. Um, but, but for them, I, I just can't help but think, that, uh, did they wonder, did they hear Isaiah write? Uh, one pastor wrote this. He said, in Jesus, the, uh, the ineffable, which just means like, inexpressible in words. So in Jesus, the ineffable, unapproachable God becomes a human being who can be known and loved. And this should absolutely blow our minds. You think about some of the ways that people encountered God in the Old Testament. Um, when someone drew near to God, it was almost always a really frightening experience uh, with Israel. God was, was a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. And, and I'm sure from uh, way in the back, that was really cool. But the closer up you got, I bet it got a whole lot scarier to realize that that was the Lord. Uh, Job, we read about Job, and, and he, he talks with God, and God's like a mix between a, a tornado and a hurricane. Uh, we remember Moses, he asked, Can I, I want to see your glory. And God says, you cannot handle it. It would literally kill you to take in my glory. I'll, I'll let you just see the back side of me. And just from like that little, that little leftover peripheral view that he had, his face was glowing so much that when he comes down, the people are freaked out to even be near him. We, we don't grasp how unapproachable God is, how truly awesome he is. So of course the Messiah would have to come to us. We could never make our way to God. But how shocking it is that the Messiah is born, that the Messiah comes as a baby. What's more approachable than a baby? And this is how God made himself with us. And God makes it very clear through Isaiah that this son will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God was telling his people he would save them. He would send the Messiah king who would, who would bring his forever kingdom where God would reign and dwell with his people. Flip to Isaiah 9, uh, 9, 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Right? No gloom. That's all they'd known for generation after generation. They had hope in God. They longed for Messiah, but virtually all they could see was gloom and darkness and depressing circumstances. Uh, verse two, 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And I love in, in John's gospel and in his letters how he uses light and darkness to help us understand right, the, the spiritual state of the world, how desperately we needed Christ, and that when he came, it was this, this light shining in the darkness. Verse 3 says, you've multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff uh, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Verse 5. For every boot of, tramp, of tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And I love the picture of verse 5 there. Right? Why will these things be burned? Because there's no use for the warrior's boots or battle garments. Right? God will fight for his people. So there's, there's no use for these tools of war because God will bring such peace that they won't even think, hey, maybe I need to save that for later in case there's another war. No, the best use for these things is fuel for the fire. Verse six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is what God will do. This is what the coming Messiah will do. The government will hinge on his might and his wisdom. He will bring real peace. I once heard someone describe the word shalom, which, which is this word for peace. Shalom points to peace the way it should be, the way that God has created it, the way that it will be one day when God makes everything right. Uh, like God said through Isaiah, a peace with no end. Turn to Isaiah 11, and this is a familiar passage. This is where it says that there'll be a shoot from the stump of Jesse, right, in verse 1. But just before Isaiah 11, there's this picture of a clear-cut forest that the stump of Jesse is a part of. And I don't know if you've ever been in a clear-cut area. Um, it's not, it's not pretty. I'm not making like a statement against logging, but you just, you stand in a clear cut and you go, man, there used to be a bunch of awesome trees here and now there's not. And it, you just, it's just a gloomy feel. So that's what we walk into with Isaiah 11 here. Uh, verse one, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, right? So it's, it's, it's desolate. It's clear cut just stumps like as, as far as the eye can see, but God is going to bring forth this, this little shoot out of the line of David. Uh, so through Isaiah, God is telling his people, I'm going to do it. I'm going to send the Messiah. I will send the king from the line of David that I promised at the height of Israel's story. And now down at one of the lowest points in Israel's history, God assures them he'll do it. He's going to send the Messiah that he's promised. Verse 2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom 
and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit uh, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And, and listen to this description. Verse 3, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or, or decide disputes by what he hears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with, uh, with equity for the meek of the earth. None of Israel's kings had been able to do that. None were like that. No, no ruler has ever been like that. And then listen to how different this, this peace that the Messiah will bring in verse 6 is. And it's a, it's a peace that, uh, that permeates all of creation. I too often only think of our spiritual hope, but man, there's a, there's a physical hope for creation too. Just listen to how much God's peace will impact creation and think about how upside down this description is starting in verse six. It says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover, that, uh, cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. Can you imagine that? Like how strange it would be to drive next to a field and see a bear and a cow hanging out together, right? Or, or to find out that, that, that a lion or a wolf and a lamb are, are living essentially as roommates. And, and apparently helicopter parents won't be a thing uh, as toddlers or playing over a cobra hole, mom and dad won't be freaked out. Why? Because, because God's, uh, God's peace has changed the nature of that cobra so it won't even strike. It's, it's hard for us to fathom how any of that can be possible. Why will it be that way? Well, verse 9 says why. Because the whole earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Brimming full, right? Everywhere. Everyone will know. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, uh, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have I purchased you. I'm the one who has, has saved you. He says, I, I have called you by name. You are mine. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, this is true. No, no matter what you feel like, no matter how guilty you might feel, no matter what your circumstances are, if you are in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ's death and resurrection to save you from sin, this is you. Right? He, you, you are his. You haven't earned it. It's simply by his grace and what he's done for you. Continuing on, verse 2, he says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God's people, you are safe with God. 
God has redeemed you. Christians, you are safe with God. Even when it feels like, like you're passing through a fire or, or, you're, or you're trying to get through floodwaters, you're safe. Why? Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, is your Savior. Who or what is there to be afraid of? It reminds me of Romans 8. I'll read a couple of verses for you. They won't be on the screen. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, we are secure in the Lord's hands. Isaiah 61, um, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. This is what Messiah will do, right? No wonder they longed for him. This is good news. We don't have to be imprisoned by our sin. We don't have to stay trapped and dead. We can have life in Christ because Christ came and gave his life for us. Listen to Isaiah 65. I just want you to listen for, for God's goodness here. Just, just total grace. Verse 1. He said, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens, making offerings on bricks. Right? Did, did he catch this here? Right? It's not like we came seeking after God. No, God found us. Scripture all throughout is, is really clear that we seek God because he reveals himself to us. It's because he's, uh, he's drawing us near to himself. And I wonder if that's you today. Right. If if suddenly or maybe over years now, like you've you found yourself like just thinking more about God, wondering if if Jesus really is the Christ, if he really is this this savior and maybe you've been coming to church or listening online, reading your Bible and you're discovering more and more about Christ. Man, are you ready to trust him? I would encourage you to trust him today. If you, if you have questions that, that you just need help with, talk to someone who knows Jesus. Talk with someone on our staff, one of our elders. We would love to talk with you. We, we, would, love, we would love to help you come to know Jesus. And trust me, he's, he's worth it. He's so worth it. He, he forgives us of everything. He wants to bring us real peace. I, I love this. Skip down in, in chapter 65 to verse 17 here. I love this. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Or it won't even be remembered. So what God will make 
in the new heavens and the new earth, he's saying it's going to be so great, right? So much better than what you know. So great that, that you won't even remember what it was like. Now, is he, is he literal here that will have no memories? Or, or is he just telling us it will be that good? I, I suppose it's up for debate. But don't be satisfied with this world. Don't, don't let yourself get sucked into being satisfied with this life. This, this world falls woefully short of what God has planned and what God has promised. But if you're like me, it's just really easy to, to get sucked in, to get complacent, to, to really love the world as if this is everything. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, gives this illustration of this young boy who's playing. He's like, playing in a mud puddle. And, uh, and, and the parents uh, say, hey, why don't you get up? We're going to go to the beach. We're going to go to the ocean. And he doesn't want to. Right? He just wants to play in, in this little puddle that he's been playing in for hours. And is he having a good time? Yes, he's totally. He's, he's having a good time. He's totally satisfying playing in a muddle when he, or in a puddle when he could be at the ocean playing at the beach. This pandemic for me has been an excellent reminder that, that even when this world is at its best, it pales in comparison to what God will do, what God is doing, what God promises his people. Ezekiel 43 uh, verse 7, and he said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of uh, the people of Israel forever. And then in 4835, it's describing the, the city that he will make. It says the circumference of the city is 18,000 cubits. Um, yeah, but this is really what I wanted you to hear. And the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. This is where everything's headed. God will fulfill his promises. I'll, I'll end with uh, a couple verses from Zechariah uh, chapter 2, verse 10. I love this. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be, and, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Right, from, from the beginning, right, right in Genesis, we see God's design, we see God's heart, his desire to be with his people, right? And that he, he is going to make the way. And, and God's people longed for the promised Messiah. How about you? What do you long for? Is it Christ? I know for many of us, we can come to church our whole lives. And do you long for Christ today? Or what has slowly taken over Christ's place on the throne of your heart? We've got, I think we have 12 days till Christmas. I would so encourage you to capture each day, each day from now until Christmas at least, is spending time growing your longing to know Jesus that we get to know the Lord is an incredible thing. I'd encourage you, meditate on some of the passages that, that we've gone through today. Next Sunday uh, serves really as our Christmas Sunday, the 20th. Um, and, and we're going to look, 
We're going to look at God with us through Jesus, the Messiah. I, man, I'm so excited to, to celebrate that with, with you. Let's pray. Jesus, we, um, we love you, Lord. We, we thank you that you have given us your word. Um, God, I, I, I really have a hard time putting myself in the place of the Israelites um, in, in everything that they went through. And I know they brought it on themselves, uh, but being exiled and, and, and knowing that there was this promise that you would send the Messiah. But I think in my flesh, I would have doubted that all the time, Lord, maybe not. I just think I would have doubted that you could really do what you, you said you would do, Lord. And, and now on this side, uh, we know, God, you did it. You, you sent Jesus so, so that we, we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could be made right with you, so that we could be at peace with, with God now, and that we will know a peace for eternity that is unlike anything we can imagine. If Scripture, if you didn't put it in the Bible, we... We wouldn't even have a category for your peace, Lord. God, we want this world to know that you're real, that you love them, Jesus. We want to know that for ourselves, Lord. We confess, I confess that, that I'm so easily roped in by this world and things of this world, things that really don't matter, things that 10,000 years from now, I really won't remember. God, I, we want to live for you, Jesus. So we, we pray, um, we pray that, that you would have our hearts, God, that you would take our hearts and that you'd form them more and more to look like your heart, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.